excited to bring you a new season of the Just Admit It podcast. But first, a quick note before we get into the episode. We'll be answering listener questions throughout the season. So please submit any questions for our team of experts to podcast at ivywise.com. Thanks for tuning in. And now for the episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Semester 5, Episode 3 of our Just Admit It podcast, where former deans and directors of admission give expert insight into the higher ed landscape. I'm Nat. I'm a college admissions counselor and Wise Start counselor at Ivy Wise, former senior associate director of admissions at NYU and NYU Abu Dhabi. I also uh, was the director of multicultural recruitment at Skidmore College, and I've worked at a variety of independent schools um, on the administrative level um, and as an upper school dean, all the way to director of college counseling. Um, I'm joined today by two wonderful colleagues, Cheryl, who's also, and I'm, I'm going to give you an opportunity, both of you, to, to go more into your background. But Cheryl is a former admissions counselor and director of multicultural affairs at Miss Porter School. And also, she worked as the associate director of admissions and recruiting at Horace Mann School. Um, also, on the, on the podcast today, we have Carl. He's an Ivy Wise master tutor. He specializes in test prep and academics. A lot of the students that I'm working with through the Wise Start program work also with Carl. So we're, we're part of a, a mentorage. Um, and in this episode, we're going to share some advice on what students and families need to keep in mind when planning for school placement. Right. So, uh, Cheryl, do you want to talk a little bit uh, about your background and how that might give us some insight into helping students um, think about school placement? Sure. Thank you so much, Nat. I really appreciate it. Uh, hi, I'm Cheryl. And as uh, Nat says, I've been working, I was working in uh, independent day and boarding schools for quite some time. In addition to that, I was director of admissions at a progressive school in Rockville, Maryland, as well as working for the Jack Kent Cook Foundation, uh, who worked with um, low to moderate income um, gifted students. Uh, so I have been on really both sides of what I like to call the admissions desk. Um, I worked with students to try to get them into the best day and boarding schools, the best ones for them. And in addition to that, I also uh, was on the other side of the admissions desk uh, interviewing uh, parents as well as students for the various uh, independent day and boarding schools that I worked at. Oh, that's awesome. So you talked about the interview. So that's something that we definitely want to touch upon later on in the podcast. Carl, I know your background, you're very modest about your background, but you've had a wide variety of educational kind of pedagogical experiences. Can you talk a little bit more about um, the things that you've done in education? Uh, yes. Thank you, Nat. You're too kind. Um, so yeah, I'm currently a master tutor for Ivy Wise. I've been with Ivy Wise for a few years now, um, working a lot with high schoolers in SAT and ACT prep, as well as with middle school students on uh, general academic enrichment, as well as IC and SSAT prep. I've also worked uh, preparing students for the SHSAT um, for our New York City uh, conglomerate. And um, and uh, I spent um, many years uh, as a college advisor at a, a boys and girls club on the Lower East Side called the Educational Alliance. 
um, where I, I helped, uh, you know, many students with their college application journeys, um, primarily high school, but also also some middle school as well. That's awesome. Now, one of the things that that I love about Carl's skill set um, is that he has developed uh, experience working with students as young as middle school as they're preparing again for you know the high school placement all the way through college, right? Like you have you're mentoring and, and tutoring some some college students too, but and maybe a lot of your work is also working with SAT or ACT prep and. Um, that model uh, is is a model that I'm really liking this trend where you see a tutor kind of curate a relationship with a young student and is with that student throughout kind of their testing experience. Um, and I know in working with Carl, you, you know, we have some some students in the Wise Start program that that are both of our students were on the same mentorage team. Um, and the variety of things that you're working with them for, right? Um, it's, it's really compelling. Do you want to talk about kind of the importance of relationships as, as a tutor and, and how that helps you get the best out of your, your students? Yes. Um, I got, yeah, it, it's, you're never going to have the optimal outcome unless you have full buy-in from the student, right? We can be, we can tout how proficient and um, qualified all our tutors and counselors are, but it starts with the connection with the student. And if the student doesn't feel uh, invested in you, it doesn't feel trust in you um, and doesn't feel like what you're doing for them is actually helping them uh, personally and, and deep down and, and in the long run, then it's hard for them to, to really want to give it their all. Right. So it's important to establish a, a, a strong connection with your student. And, you know, one of the first things before you get into any of the, the nuts and bolts, this is how we solve this geometry problem, et cetera, is to get to know who this person is. What are they like? What are they into? What motivates them? Um, and just try to, like, have a conversation. And, you know, as an adult, it can be hard to remember how to talk to kids if you haven't done it in a while, right. uh, particularly, particularly like the middle school age is like, there's so much going on with them as people. So you just try to find some, you know, some point of connection and, and some way of relating to them to make sure that, oh, okay, this person has my best interest at heart. And I, I can trust that they're going to help me with what I need that help with. That's right? awesome. Yeah. I think that's so overlooked. I think oftentimes when, families are looking at tutors and they're, they're just looking at outcomes. Right. Um, and there's actually a theme here that we'll talk about today, but the outcomes, like, as you said, you know, to paraphrase, it's like that skill set is very separate from the ability to connect with kids. Um, and that's very, very true in so much that we'll talk about today. Um, but before we jump into that, Cheryl, can you give us a little bit of a a timeline for high school placement today. We're going to really kind of talk about high school placement. So what's the general timeline? When should kids start? Um, when, sh when should they be testing in general and then, you know, interviewing and stuff like that? But let's just start with the timeline first. Okay. Ideally, the earlier, the better. Uh, I was having a conversation with someone just last week and I uh, indicated that in reality, if you are uh, interested in applying for ninth grade, mm -hmm. 
the best time for you to start really is in seventh grade. Right. Because you need to um, get things in order because you will be uh, applying in the fall of your eighth grade year. So um, taking that seventh grade year to really shore up things that you're interested in, your grades, all those kinds of things, I believe is the ideal time. That's right. But if you can't do it in seventh grade, then uh, as early in eighth grade as possible, applications usually open up right around Labor Day every year. And so uh, starting off early uh, eighth grade is is far better. I, I've worked with students that you know, came to the process a little late. Um, I'm talking about October, November, December. That uh, gets me very nervous. Uh, and it's because you really, this is something that really takes time. It takes time for you to um, figure out whether you're going to take the SSAT or the IC. It takes time, you know, for you to take that practice test. And then if tutoring is needed for you to have that tutoring done so that you can get in at least two uh, tests before the deadline. Right. There's essays to write, you know, there's interview prep, there's all these things. And the longer it takes you to decide, hey, I think I want to apply to this independent or these independent day or boarding schools, mm -hmm. um, then that means it's a shorter window that we have of working with you to get all of the missing pieces uh, and necessary pieces together so that you can submit uh, the most successful application possible. Yeah, that's right. I, I think a lot of times when we're working with students who are getting to the process late, it's it's mostly because that they have decided whether it's like a, a family move or a, a late decision um, to enter, you know, to, to, to apply into ninth grade for a different school. Um, generally speaking, students would know right in middle school. Um, and you alluded to the, you know, the important fact that you have to get teacher recommendations, you have to, mm -hmm. you know, take the test and, um, or, you know, one or the other, if, you know, hopefully, you know, kids aren't testing for both. Carl, when you're, when you're prepping someone for the different exams, like whether it's the IC or in, in New York City, you know, the, the specialized high school test or um, the SSAT, do you find most of your kids end up just specializing in one? Or are they are some of them also taking both exams? I think ultimately a student will, based on uh, their personal level of comfort with a test, lean one way or another. Yes. Um, depending on specifically with the IC versus SSAT, um, considering that both tests they are they they are fairly equally weighted. Um, it kind of depends on, on a student's personal uh, strengths and weaknesses. So like I, we know that the SSAT has a little bit uh, more comprehensive verbal component than the IC and the IC's math is a little bit more difficult. So depending on how that student is more inclined, right? You want to give yourself the best opportunity to look good for those high schools. Um, and uh, now there is a lot of overlap between those tests. So a student could obviously um, do both uh, and see what happens. Um, but, you know, it would, it, re it would require an extra layer of 
preparation in that there are certain topics that are on one test and not on the other, for example, right? Um, But uh, I also wanna say that it is very critical uh, to back up Cheryl's point that a student be able to sit for two exams simply for the fact that having never taken an official exam, the one thing I, as a tutor, cannot prepare you for is how that feels in the room or how that feels when you're really, when you're taking it for real and not for practice. And that can have an effect on one's performance on that day. A lot of times for the negative, right? I was a little bit nervous. I lost track of time, et cetera, et cetera. So that I often find students do better the second time, not only because they've had more time to prepare, but also because they aren't as startled or, or disturbed by what that experience is, right? They, they know, okay, they're going to come around and pass out the test, et cetera, if, if they're taking it in person, or they know what it's, what the timing feels like a little bit more. So having, giving oneself enough time to one, master the material, um, and then two, have enough time to, to, deal with the elements that are out of one's control uh, are very important, which is another reason why we want to start you in that seventh grade year if you're preparing for the ninth grade admission. That's right. That's a great point. And also the point um, that translates all the way through when you're taking the SAT or the ACT um, is we try to give our students as many, um, well, to a point, there's a point of diminishing returns, but the importance of full length practice exams as you're prepping, right? So you can't prepare for a marathon adequately. And it's a marathon for a young student, you know, to sit for as long as it takes. You can't prepare for a marathon by just running a series of 5Ks. So not just sitting for the verbal section or the math section, but having a few times out where you sit for both to build up that stamina. And I, I know that we we do that together as well. Um, Cheryl, can you talk to us about, since we're kind of focusing right now on, on the subtle differences between the SSAT and the IC, the SSAT has this character assessment module. Um, can you just tell us a little bit more about it in case people are wondering? Yes, it's called the Character Skills Snapshot. Uh, and more and more schools are looking for uh, students, you know, to take that a uh, character skills snapshot. It's just an added layer for students, for schools rather, to um, to look at a student's uh, full an entire application. Um, it talks about uh, it. It's questions that have specific, uh, so it's specific scenarios. And then within those scenarios, there are three um, answers and you must choose from one of those answers. And it goes along the lines of interpersonal skills, intrapersonal skills, things like that. Um, But it's an added layer. I see that more and more schools are uh, looking for it and it gives them just another dimension if you will, with regards to um, each applicant that's coming in. That's right. And so it's it's part of this holistic review, right? And yes. you know, the, the nice part about the high school admissions piece is that it is less like a business compared to the college admissions process, right? There's 
there's not bond ratings behind the scenes that, that colleges are trying to um, keep up or maintain or, or raise, but there still is this business aspect. And that's a, that's a whole nother episode on, on the podcast, but can you talk a little bit more about some of the components that would be important uh, when reviewing an application? And then also let's, let's start leaning into the interview as well, like the parent interview and then the, the student interview portion. And, and that I have so much experience with as well, but go ahead, Cheryl. Sure. Sure. So um, with regards to the, the application, um, all of it, of course, is important. Um, what I've found is that the essays um, really do shine uh, a bright light on who this applicant is. And so, yes, the, the tests are are important. Uh, some some schools are still test optional. But let's face it, if you do really, really well on that standardized test, you're going to want to present um, those results. Uh, but the other thing is, is that the essays are really very important. It's another layer. Again, it's another way for you to highlight um, your opinions, your strengths, all kinds of things. Um, and my biggest um, advice to students as well as parents, but to students is to um, make sure that you speak your truth. Um, you you shouldn't be writing um, in someone else's, what they call someone else's voice. Uh, it is your experiences that they're looking for. And that way they get a chance uh, to figure out whether or not you would be a good fit for the school. Same thing with the uh, essays and the, and the uh, statements that the parents um, make. Uh, in addition to that, the interview gives you the opportunity, parents and students, to see if this school is a good fit for you, uh, because it is a two-way street. Um, the interview is very important. I always tell my families, you are really on your interview from the time you, especially if it's an in-person interview, from the time you pull up in the parking lot and, and get out of the car and walk up to the admissions office to the time you get back in your car in your car and you leave. It's not that you should be very nervous about that, but just be mindful of the fact that um, you're you're you are you're being watched. If you're going on a on a tour of the school, that ambassador or that tour guide is another layer to see, you know, what kind of student would this be, you know, and here in our community. And I've had uh, ambassadors or student guides come to me and say, oh, you know, that that student there, they were really rude to their parents, you know, when we were going on our tour. And, you know, those are things that we would like to know about because, you know, you're 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 not on guard. And so you're more apt to be, you know, the real you, so to speak. Um, but just to keep in mind that you know, it, it's important for you to put your best foot forward, even though um, you might not think anybody is listening or, or watching. That's right. Yeah. When I was on the college side um, at Skidmore, I would routinely tell our ambassadors, our tour guides, like, hey, if there's some comments that you want to add about a specific student or a family and something happened on the tour, just turn over their inquiry card and then write us because we're going to see this was back when before online applications when we had actually physical folders. And then oftentimes we would see their notes like, oh, my gosh, like this student was like on the phone the entire time or, you know, like just not interested. And sure that, you know, when you're in the college side and you're trying to there's 
more students than there are spots, um, that could very, very easily be like, oh, we're probably not going to yield that person, right? Or that person was rude. And, and we, want, we, wanna, we want community members, right? So I'm so glad that you shared that anecdote. Um, the interview itself, have you ever interviewed a student who seemed too polished? Yes. <laughs> Short answer, yes. Um, by and large, um, there are there's a broad spectrum, you know, of students and applicants that come to us. There are some that that seemed quite polished. Um, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say that they were, you know, coached. I, I'm not really sure they, they might have been. Um, but there are some students out there that have had the opportunity to be out and about and among lots of different types of people, you know, right. lots of adults, you know, lots of students. And so they're a little bit more verbose than a student that really hasn't had all of that much exposure. That's so great point. Yeah. yeah. So um, what we try to do is um, try to bring out uh, of the student their very best. You know, just so that they're confident in in the answers that they're given, that they're giving, because this is all about them. But you don't want to. And I've, I've, I've said this to students as well. Let me ask the question before you leap into the answer, because then it does seem like you've been a little bit you know, coached and you don't want to give off that um, that kind of impression. You know, Shelley, your point about kids with different experiences and, and, you know, I've, I've worked with you now enough and we just did a webinar not so long ago. And, but one of the commonalities of, of all three of us on this podcast today is that we've, we've worked with a wide range of students from different backgrounds, either socioeconomically, um, racially, eth uh, ethnically. And um, that's a really interesting perspective for us, right. As mentors, as guides, um, in having the experience in, in working, but also it sounds like when you were on the admission side of the desk, like you're, you're interviewing and reviewing candidates in the context from which they come from, right? So you're not necessarily, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're not necessarily penalizing someone who's maybe not as experienced in speaking with an adult in a formal setting, right? Correct. So for me um, and, and my background, I take other things into consideration, you know, just like in reading um, a letter of recommendation, you know, sometimes I, I would read the letter of recommendation and it sounded like they were describing a puppy, you know, oh, mm -hmm. works well with others, nice, obedient, you know, whereas there are other teacher recommendations because these teachers are more uh, experienced in writing a letter of recommendation where you feel as though you're sitting in the classroom with the student right. because they've been so descriptive. And so just working with the families and, and getting a, a sense of, you know, what to expect with regards to a letter of recommendation and to ask for those things that, that would help enhance um, the picture and the snapshot of that applicant from the teacher's perspective. Yeah, that's another great point and very similar to the, the point we made before in that the context in which, you know, the teacher is able to write from, there are schools where the teacher might be writing for so many kids, if it's, especially if it's a K through eight school and you have a, an English teacher, a math teacher, 
they might be writing for, you know, uh, the entire eighth grade class because, you, you know, they're, they're teaching in a subject that is required to write um, where you might have another school where the teacher's writing fewer or, you know, has more resources and time to write. And so that also is part of the, the contextual, the helpful contextual information in reviewing a letter of rec, which I feel is, you know, find really important, especially during the pandemic where we've seen grades, there's a lot of grade inflation, you know, um, or it's uh, from a, from a transcript, it's, you know, especially in middle school, kids tend to look more like one another. Um, there tends to be a little bit more of different, uh, you know, differing skill levels as you get into high school, depending on what school you're talking about. But I'm so glad that you, you, you know, brought up that point. Um, let's shift over to how to find the right fit in, you know, and if you're looking at an independent school, whether it's a day school or a boarding school, um, are there things that you tell your families or that you've, that you would tell someone like what's the piece of advice you would look at you would give in advising a family that's looking for a fit um for me there are several things uh i look and, and encourage families um when we're looking at and researching schools to have a um a safety school a likely school and a reach school Similar to, to college and a target school, a safety and a likely. What's the difference between a safety and a likely for you? So a safety school is a school where your scores, your grades are, are far above, you know, what their you know, moderate requirements might be. So I call it safety. Yeah. Um, likely is, you know, your 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 standardized test scores are right in the range you know, of what they're looking for. And of course, reach is your scores are a little bit lower, but you have so many other great things to offer this school, you know, because it's not just about the standardized test scores. So the, yeah, the nomenclature is just a little bit different. Yeah. So we often refer to likely mm -hmm. as what you referring to as a safety and then a target as, mm -hmm. you know, like, Hey, like you, have, you know, 50, 50 chance. Right. Mm -hmm. And then a reach is, you know, what we say less than 25 when we're, when we're dealing with college admissions. So, Point well taken. Yes. Go yes. Ahead. Ahead. Um, so, the yeah. other thing is, is that, you know, are you looking for a, a day school or a boarding school? Now, keeping in mind that uh, all of the day, all of the boarding schools have a day school component to it. Um, but that's because those students are, are local to that uh, boarding school area. But are you looking for a strict day school where that student is coming home at the end of every day or a five day boarding school where they're only there on the campus five days and then they come home every weekend or, of course, a seven day um, boarding school. Uh, the other thing I talk about is um, size. I always ask the question of the parents. Do you think your child is a would prefer to be a big fish in a small pond or a small fish in a big pond? And that helps us uh, get together a really good a list of schools with which uh, the student should apply to. That's awesome. I'm going to add an element to that or a few elements to that, because that's so good. I love that, Cheryl. I'm going to go back to what Carl was saying when he was talking about tutoring, how one skill set of like, yes, you know the material and you can teach the material that's on the test, but you know that's an outcome, right? Or that's a skill set, a specific skill set. 
but then can you actually connect with the students as well as Carl does with all of his mm-hmm. and just a wide variety. Um, and that is, I feel oftentimes the biggest mistake that families make when they're looking at an independent school, whether it's a boarding school or day school is that they look at the college outcomes mm-hmm. and they look at that as the primary metric or proxy for it must be a good school. Right. And there's so much nuance to that. A lot of times, you know, and, and this is a shifting, shifting landscape, but a lot of times the college outcomes are, you know, have a lot to do with things that, that are independent of whether the school is a good school or not a good school. Right. Right. right, so, right, um, right. Or if that particular school has a high legacy, you know, like uh, if, if, if they have a lot of parents that have gone to schools where legacy factor is still a big factor. Right. And so um, or if it's a school that has athletics, I've worked at some schools that are really, really quite athletic. Um, And the college list, when you look at it from afar, it's very, very impressive. But if you look at and you you dive down and you you really kind of decode like, oh, who's getting in? It is it's, you know, primarily athletic recruitment. Right. Right. And so the, the kids that are not athletes at that school might have a more difficult time. Um, they might also fare well, but it's it's so nuanced, and that is from face value such a a common mistake that families make is that they look at a school's enrollment, college enrollment, as a proxy for how good the school is. And again, so if you're thinking, and I've worked at schools, and I've I've been you know offered jobs at schools where, uh, you know, the the head of school would say, hey, like this is you know we don't want a helicopter, we don't want a landing pad for helicopter parents. We want to develop the autonomy in the kids here, right? And that is awesome. That is like a really cool um, pedagogical ethos. But then I've worked at other schools where we want to be hand in hand. We want to work together as a team with the parents to help develop the child, right? The student. And those are two very, very different things. And oftentimes, Families aren't even considering that. They're not considering what type of mentoring or what type of advising programs are going on on campus. And so if I would offer any advice, look into some of that as well and not just college outcomes because that's the easy one, right? Like that's the profile that comes up in the in the folder that you're given after the college tour, uh, not the college tour, the campus tour. Um, but, and that's, that's again, right back to, to Carl's point early in the, in the conversation about it's not just about outcomes, right? Like a lot of these schools have phenomenal outcomes. It's about the experience. Like, what is it going to be like? You know, is it, you know, what's the advising going to be like? So Cheryl, is that, does that resonate with you as well? Oh, very much so. I've had so many uh, parents say to me in, uh, in an interview, you know, well, you know, will, will, will Johnny uh, go, go to, to Harvard? Yeah, right. You know, we, we, will Johnny go to Harvard? And my response was always, well, it all depends. What kind of work did John, does, is Johnny, might Johnny do if they were here at this school? This, the name of the school alone does not automatically launch you into that top Ivy League or that, you know, school that the parent might be looking for. So There's true. so much between you know, the middle school or high school experience and then college. Um, I always talk to parents about uh, your child should not just survive at their chosen school. They should thrive there. Yes. And I am a huge, I talk about that all the time. Yeah, <laughs> so that's, 
Don't let me get on my soapbox with regards no, to that. No, no, this is an important point. And I'm so glad you brought it up. A lot of the work that, that I do with Carl and working with younger students, rather, you know, like sixth, seventh, eighth graders, is we're really trying to prepare them to thrive, you know, in high school. And if they thrive in high school, they, you know, the college placement is going to come along with that, right? Exactly. That, you know, Carl's going to get their test scores up there. And, but a lot of the work, you know, that you might not be, thinking about is, you know, executive functioning, right? Like learning how to calendar back. Like you have a project due in three weeks, like let's have a draft due, you know, two weeks, you know, before the deadline. And then let's give it to the, the teacher to, to read over. And so all the little steps that, that are, are a little bit, you know, hidden behind the scenes. Um, but we're just, we, that is a very, very big thing about our Wise Start program is really teaching families to thrive and, and to really kind of change you know, change the process to not be so outcome based because the outcomes will take care of themselves as long as we're taking care of the, the journey. Right. And, and it's really fun. It's, it's rewarding to see kids really doing well. And I'm thinking of like a, a student in, in particular where, you know, Carl's working, we're working together and the student is very quantitative and, and is having a difficult time, you know, finding connections to history, right. This particular student and, and Carl is able to to make history jump out for her, for this particular student. Um, and that's so exciting because then you, you know, to learn that skill and, and to learn and, and to have that excitement in a particular subject, you know, that wasn't interesting before to, to really engender that early on. And then hopefully she'll, she'll continue, you know, her love of history and her newfound love of history. Thanks mm -hmm. to, to tutors like Carl. So, um, what else is there? Is there anything that we're missing in terms of, of talking about? I guess the one thing that I, I want to talk about is the importance of testing. I mean, you, Cheryl, you alluded to, you know, some schools are still test optional. One of the schools that I, I worked for and really love, you know, poly prep in Brooklyn, they are, they're still test optional, um, it, you know, after the pandemic, but there's also, there's some schools that are very quantitative about their test scores, right? Like more of the really visible boarding schools and day schools tend to be very test sensitive. Mm -hmm. um, and that might translate to how quantitative they are in their learning, you know, their learning style or their teaching style on campus, right? So um, that is the importance of the test, right? Even if you're gonna apply to a variety of schools, a really strong test score is, is gonna be helpful in most cases, even if a school is test optional. So don't underestimate the importance of finding a tutor that not only knows the material, but also can connect with, with your student as well. Um, are there any last pieces of advice from Carl, Cheryl, anything as well? Carl? Yeah, I'm here. Um, <laughs> I guess, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I just want to echo Nat's point in terms of the process, you know, coming from the most recently being uh, on the tutoring side, you know, students are always they want to just hurry up and get that score. But it's like, you know what? If you read books more often. Yes. Oh, my God. Then Ooh. you will be more comfortable with the type of reading passage you're going to find on reading comprehension. And that's not going to intimidate you in the way that it may right now. And it can be hard to get a student to see the long view and go like, you're just giving me a homework assignment, but that's a skill that's going to 
help you beyond this test that's going to help you into high school, into college, into life. You're going to need to know how to critically read and interpret what you're reading, right? You're going to, it, uh, the work that you do on math is going to foundationally prepare you to take more difficult math, right? So whatever the outcome is with this school, with this test, right, that ultimately you're submitting to a process where a lot is out of, out of your control, right? And all you can really control is the effort that you put forth and the sincerity with which you do that, right? So, and that is going to have value in the short term and in the long term, right? In the short term, the relatively short term, you will probably find yourself in a better position to get into the school that you want to get into, right? But then when you get to that school, if and when you get to that school, you're going to need to thrive there. You can't just say, oh, I got in and then I'm struggling the whole time because then that defeats whatever purpose you you have for your higher education, right? So you want to be able to, to build a foundation and keep building upon it. That's right. That's awesome. Really worth worth the listen just to hear that. That's fantastic. You know, the one thing that we haven't talked about and we can touch upon really briefly, um, but Cheryl, if you want to talk a little bit about financial aid in the process and for the, for the families that will be thinking about financial aid and what's the biggest piece of advice that you have for, for them. Well, um, the one thing that I used to tell uh, students all the time is that in reality, everyone, every student that goes to the school is on uh, financial aid because what it costs to truly educate that student is not what they're being charged. Right. So that's the first thing. There are some families who only need a little bit of aid in order, you know, to make this happen for their for their child. And there are a lot of stu- a lot of families who need a lot of aid. My uh, recommendation is please don't be afraid to ask questions. Uh, I remember when I first started working at Horace Mann, uh, my son uh, was going into second grade. And so, you know, I had to fill out the FAFSA and I was speaking to my director of admissions. And I said to her, I consider myself to be a fairly intelligent woman and I can't make heads or tails Mm -hmm. as to what is going on here. And so one of my roles that I happily took on was I had office hours once a week for families who wanted to come in so that I could help them with their FAFSA. Now I know not all schools do that. In fact, I think we were the only ones that did that. But don't be afraid to ask for assistance so that you are getting all of the aid that you need in order for your uh, child to be successful in that school. So answer all the questions thoroughly. Um if you on the FAFSA form, if you have any questions, um, please get in touch with the financial aid person at the schools that you're interested in applying to um, and let them know what's going on. Just be open. Yeah. You know, I, I know that there's some people out there who they don't want people to know their business. But when it comes to financial aid, the more they know, the better informed decision can be made as far as the aid that your that your child can receive. So true. Yeah, the most meaningful work I I do in 
advising students is when I can help with financial aid. It's exactly, exactly. A lot of experience with. Now, one of the trends that, that I'm certainly seeing, you know, over the last 10, 10 or so years and in working at independent schools and also colleges is that there are, uh, there's a big group of, of families that will get better financial aid at the independent school level than mm-hmm. compared to what they will get at a college. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that could be shifting. And, but um, I think that the cost of college is, you know, is rising higher, you know, it's outpacing inflation. And so even though independent schools are also becoming more and more expensive, I don't think it's quite at the level um, that we're seeing in colleges over the last, you know, 10, 10 or so years, but that's great advice with college. Cheryl, any other with, uh, with fun in regard to financial aid, any other last tips before you, you bring us out? Um, I'm thinking, uh, don't be afraid to ask questions of your Ivy wise counselor. Um, we are here to help and assist you in any way that we can so that the best outcome possible, you know, will be there for your child. And if it's the best outcome for your child, then it's definitely going to be the best outcome for you as a parent. So please don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, There is a, a big importance in starting the application process as early as possible. I really don't think you can ever start too early. There's always things that that can be and needs to be done. So that's that's the last of my advice. That's awesome. And then if you want to bring us out, uh, sure, certainly make sure that they know about all the free resources that we have as well uh, on the website. So go ahead. Yes, indeed. So that just about wraps up this episode. Thank you for tuning in to Just Admit It. Catch up on all of our previous episodes by visiting our podcast page and be sure to bookmark our knowledge base for additional help with navigating the complex and competitive admissions landscape. In our next episode, we're going to share advice on what students can do to improve their personal narrative writing. So if you have any questions about the personal narrative essay writing process, email them to us at podcast at ivywise.com so that we can try to address your most pressing questions. And please don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok for more higher ed resources. Thanks everyone. Thank you guys. Thank you, Carl. Thank you.